This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 727. When I saw the house, it wasn't just like most investments that I buy, and I'm like, this is a good investment. What's it look like on a spreadsheet? It's just fun. The architecture is really amazing. There's so many different places within the house where you can gather and have a conversation or have a different experience, whether you're sitting by a fire inside sitting next to the 85 inch TV at the pool table at the kitchen where I think somebody said like it's the largest countertop they've ever seen in a, in a property. What's going on everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast here today with a Seeing Green episode and guess what? I brought some backup. I'm joined today with my co-host Rob Abasolo on this special Seeing Green episode because by popular demand, you have all insisted that you want to hear more about the property that we bought together, but you don't just want to hear about the property. You want to hear the deets. You want the juicy details. What goes on behind the scenes? What's the story? What have you guys had to encounter? What's it been like? And we are going to share it all with you here today. Rob, good morning to you. Hola. How's it going? It is definitely the morning here, not 4.30 p.m., and uh, I will say this is I'm excited for 2023 because I think this is a year for more experimentation in the real estate world because in 2022, uh, we bought this massive behemoth Scottsdale mansion. And then I just hint, uh, I just closed on a, um, a sub two deal on a beach house here in Crystal Beach, Texas, which if anybody wants to hear about that deal and how I got into this $850,000 house for only $50,000. Let us know in the comments down below and maybe we'll do a little deep dive on that. And I'm just excited for 2023. I'm like really jazzed and excited to try more things, buy more luxury properties, build weirder homes, get into more creative deals, maybe try wholesaling, maybe to try more arbitrage. Like I, I want to do everything because I just love learning and I love teaching people from like a, like I like to struggle and show people like, all right, here's where I messed up. Hopefully this helps you, right? That's kind of our job here on the podcast. Absolutely. We need to be, I've heard them called mushroom eaters. They're like the person you send out there. Hey, eat that mushroom. See if you die. <laughs> oh, Tommy didn't die. I guess we can eat that thing now, right? That's our job is to go out there and make all the mistakes and make the moves and learn as much as we can. Uh, take the battle scars and then come and put it in a book so that you don't have to do that anymore. So Hey, T Tommy didn't die, but he's like waving his hand in front of his face a lot. And he's saying, whoa, dude, I'm freaking out over here, man. That's a different kind of mushroom. But yet <laughs> the effect is the same. Don't go out there and make a bunch of mistakes. Just let Rob and I make them. Listen to this podcast for free. Learn everything that you can. And all we ask for in return is a five-star review. If you could just go to wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, let, a, let them know that you love the show and give us a good review. We'd appreciate it. That could be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever that is. If we don't get those, we will not be the number one real estate related show. And that would crush my soul because we deserve to be. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to do, like I said, we're going to pull back the curtains and we're going to share exactly what is going on with this property uh, and as well as share some funny stories of things that have gone wrong. So on that token, Rob, why don't you bring us today's Quick tip. Yeah, today's quick tip is don't give discounts. Stick to your price. I think there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, there's, there must have been an article that came out lately that was like, hey, everything's negotiable. Did you know you can negotiate with your Airbnb host? Don't do it. You know, Airbnb hosts put a lot of time, effort, and energy into getting the Airbnb up to its best condition. And so asking them to discount it is basically like, you know, asking you to discount your job. It's the same thing, right? If you're a... Uh, I don't know, lawn care professional, for example. I'm not. I'm usually going to pay you what you say 
you are going to charge me. I'm not going to be like, hey, how about half of that just because it's slow, huh? Like that person has to make a living too, right? So if you're a host on the flip side of this, don't give the discount because A, those types of guests are typically the more high maintenance people. They'll eventually get their discount in the end when they ask you for a refund over all the small, small minute things. Uh, it's probably very obvious that I've been hurt badly and I've been scarred from all my discount experiences, which you'll hear a little bit more in today's episode. But stick to your guns. You have a quality product. You're going to charge a quality price. Don't give the discounts. Know your worth and add tax David. Yes, King. Yes. <laughs> know your worth, Airbnb investors out there. It's actually a well-documented sales technique to slowly get someone to agree with you over small things because you can leverage that into bigger things. So this was something I learned and I started using when I became an agent. If you walk into an open house and I say, hey, can I be your agent? The answer is going to be no, weirdo. I don't know you. And now you freaked me out. But if I say, hey, would you mind coming over here? And would you mind answering this question? And can I show you something in the backyard? And would you mind holding this thing for me? And hey, could you go say something to that person over there for a quick second. Now that you've said yes to me six times in a row, hey, do you mind coming to my office tomorrow for an appointment on what I do to help buyers? It's super hard to say no. And people learn that. So they're going to say, can I have a discount? If you, if you say yes, it's not going to be like, oh, yeah, I got a discount. Like, what else can I get a discount on? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read the book. If you give a mouse a cookie, it will explain it much better than Rob or I can right now. Do you know that book, Rob? Of course. I read it, I, I read it before I go to bed every night. Not to my daughter. It's just, I think it's a great read. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's part of how you learn to say no to these investors. So everybody, please DM Rob the phrase, who hurt you? Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, Rent to Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. 
Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. All right, let's get to today's show. All right, Rob, let's talk Scottsdale, the property we bought, how it went when we bought it, what are some of the challenges we faced, how do we overcome those obstacles. We're going to talk about what went the way we thought it would go, what went worse than we thought it would go, what went better than we thought it would go, where we are today. So to recap here, let's talk about why we chose to buy in the city of Scottsdale. What do you remember about that? Well, I think it was a few things, right? So we wanted to... Uh find property. We wanted to find a luxury property in a place where people were naturally migrating towards. And so obviously there's like the big exodus of California, been a very big popular headline alarmism thing in the last couple of years. I feel like Californians are moving to Arizona. They're moving to places like Tennessee, Texas, Florida. And so Arizona is like a really big hotspot for where people are migrating to as well. And also Scottsdale is just really one of those dream destinations. It's like the bachelor destination, right? Where if you're going to throw a bachelor party or a bachelorette party, it's like top of the list on, on, on so many, for so many cities. Right. So I think just naturally people were moving there and the tourism market was booming there. And that seemed to be what attracted us. What about you? Yeah, that that's a big part of it. I, I look at the, the, um, advantages you described as like short-term benefits there. It's not that they're good or bad, but in the short term, in creating revenue, in making sure that this property stay profitable, that's exactly what we're looking at. That's where the revenue is going to come from. The long-term wealth building, which is probably going to be equity in the property, and the defensive element, which I don't talk about as often, but it's a very big part of the decision-making that I put into real estate investing is I'm always thinking about, well, how do I protect against the downside? Scottsdale, Arizona is where a lot of money's going. A lot of people that do well in life retire into Scottsdale. A lot of snowbirds visit there to get away from the cold area that they're in. Uh, it's growing very fast. It is a area that wealth is sort of drawn to. I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure they have more golf courses per capita than almost anywhere probably. else. Like it's just, yeah, right, probably. Wealthy type stuff is happening out there. A lot of the... Um, a lot of if you have a kid in cheerleading or some like high expensive sports club, those groups all go to Scottsdale to have their football games or their soccer games or basketball or whatever it is. So there's also this element where that area is going to continue to increase in price, we believe, when other areas of the country may stall or even go down. So long term, we felt it was a safe bet and short term, we felt it was a profitable bet. And ultimately, we said that's where we want to look for the property. Mm -hmm. Agree with all of that. And also, there's just a lot of happening stuff 
in Scottsdale, like the Waste Management Golf Tour is there. This year, the Super Bowl is there. So we just felt like we were also going to get some pretty juicy Airbnb bookings this year in particular. Yeah. Now, I remember when we were looking at properties, we started at some pretty amazing things in Paradise Valley that we really liked. And then our first realtor that we reached out to, Billy, shout out to Billy. If you guys want to get connected with him, let me know. I'd be happy to connect you. He's one of my first Arizona guys that helped me build a portfolio there. He came back and he was like, actually, you can only rent this thing out six months out of the year, which is a bit of a deal killer when you start looking at the revenue, HOA laws, or maybe it was city government laws. I don't remember what it was, but we had some regulation. So we got out of Paradise Valley, which we really liked, and we started looking in Scottsdale. And we had a couple that we were looking at, but this one was just like something different about it. Do you remember your first feeling when you saw the property or the not the, the website for the property, the pictures of it? Yeah, my first inclination when I saw it was that I... I was not qualified to purchase or own a property like that. Because it was three points. Same way you felt when you saw your wife, right? Exactly. I overshot my coverage on that. And the same thing on this property too, right? Uh, or I, I outkicked my coverage. There we go. See, I know some things. Um, and so like this property was $3.4 million, I think, initially. And it was just majestic. It was like, oh, me? Me? Little old raw bill here? I, I don't deserve this house. You know, uh, I think that was like a really big intimidating thing for me at the time because it was just like, I mean, it's kind of going from, you know, me buying these three to four to five hundred thousand dollar houses to really going from like zero to ten pretty quickly there. Right. But you, you were there kind of coaching me saying like, well, you want to buy ten houses this year. Right. And I was like, well, yeah. And you're like, why not just buy one? And I was like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that was a, that was, we didn't just come to that decision right off the bat. We kind of, no. I wouldn't say we argued, but we definitely had a healthy dialogue would be a good way where like you brought forth your objections and then there was answers to those. And then I brought forth objections and you had answers to those. So what it boiled down to is if we buy 10, $400,000 properties or $300,000 properties, it's way more work. It's going to cost us money in other areas of life because that time and energy that we have to put into these 10 properties is not just free. You got to take it away from somewhere else. So we could have been making money doing other stuff that we wouldn't be. We probably wouldn't be able to buy them in nearly as good of a market. So we didn't think that the upside appreciation was as valuable to put $3 million into Indianapolis real estate or Wichita, Kansas real estate. But to put it in Scottsdale real estate, we thought we had the higher upside. And then there was also the element of we've got some options we can do with this place. We can host retreats there. We can bring other investors out there to teach them. Uh, we can learn how to work in the luxury space, which has a, a higher upside overall. So sort of that, like putting our fears and our objections and our questions on the table led to a cool experience where I got to know you better, you got to know me better, and we actually ended up both agreeing this was the right move. Do you remember anything differently? No, that's about right, because I think it wasn't even just running the 10 properties that, that was making us nervous, but setting up 10 properties is like a real bear, right? Like setting up one Airbnb property, it's not like rocket science. It's not hard. I always say this, but it is hard work. And it's a lot of hard work to get it up and running, to unbox things, to break down the boxes, to argue about where the couch should go versus the TV. And doing that 10 times, I mean, just think about all the discussions and all the uh, all the things that we had, even just in that video that we shot. Mosquito bites that just never stop. <laughs> That's right. And it's like, we had so many of those just with one house. Imagine doing that 10 times for really the same amount of overall equity and revenue and, and things like that. So 
um, I think it, it really did start to make sense because I think every week we were meeting and I was presenting you with like 10 properties. I was like, all right, this one's 300, this one's 500, this one's 800. And then you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, all right, uh, 800,000, $100,000 revenue. Good, but it's not going to really move the needle towards like our ultimate goals, right? And so I think that's where we started to, to re-strategize a bit. Yeah, and the other thing I want to highlight when you're making decisions like this, because not everybody's in a position to buy a $3 million property. We are aware of that, right? But at some point in your career, you probably will be. Some point in your career, you're probably going to 1031 stuff and you're going to be having the option. When you own 10 properties, let's assume that one significant thing happens with your property that takes a lot of your time every year. Uh, there's an issue with a, with a guest, there's a thing that breaks, there's some capital expenditures that need to be done, and you're going to have to do some research and some logistical um, operational work to get this thing fixed. Well, if we went and bought 10 properties, we would almost be guaranteeing that once a month we'd be dealing with a headache like that Yeah. versus once a year when you've got the one property. It really does start to compound. Like I, At one point, my portfolio grew to over 50 single family homes, and it was every single day some problem. It just made me hate the real estate versus if you scale that down, the emotional toll it takes on you is much less. Well, and I think it is fair to say like, yeah, we bought a $3.25 million house, but it's really like you and I each bought a $1.6 million house, right? So it there is a little bit of like, you brought borrowing power and capital. I brought borrowing power and capital. $1.6 million as a purchase makes sense for someone where I am in my portfolio, having owned 14 short-term rentals, and then I had bought a hotel as well. And so it, it wasn't that crazy, but it's still this like sticker shock of like, well, are we really doing this? Because th this isn't like a, we're not, it's not like a t-ball or a softball here. This is like, we're getting thrown a curveball, right? So, yep. uh, but it was really fun. I, I think our expectations going in, we're like, okay, this is going to be a, a crazy one. But as soon as we saw the house, we were also like, oh, this house is special. Yeah. Now let's talk about how we ended up finding the realtor that we use for the house. So tell me like you were sort of the one who was put in charge with originally we were going to use Billy and Billy was good and he helped us to identify a couple properties that weren't good. And then you started calling around looking for realtors, I think to help with a specific house you had questions with, which led you on a rabbit trail. So can you tell that story a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So Billy was helping us out in Phoenix. And then I was like, well, the Scottsdale Airbnb market's just going to have its own special nuances. So talked with you about it and you were like, go find the biggest, baddest broker and find find their biggest baddest realtor in the short-term rental space so i called like you know sotheby's or something like that and i was like hey i need to talk to the top dog in the short-term rental space and they're like all right let me get you connected with like i think his name was frank talked to him very quickly it was like clear that he didn't know much about short-term rentals which is fine but he was like dude you got to talk to michael pendenko who's like a really good friend of mine this is what he does like this is his specialty and i was like this is very nice of you you're basically giving away a fifty thousand dollar commission you know he's like oh what goes around comes around it's gonna be great and i was like all right thanks man so we got connected with michael and michael owned like 20 luxury properties in scottsdale could help me comp out deals, was looking at revenue projections, could tell me what amenities we needed, what amenities we didn't need, and sort of just knew the short-term rental game front and back for that specific market. 
And it really just made that entire process a lot easier for us because it could sort of corroborate the comps that we were making when we were buying the property. Yeah, that was a big reason that we ended up enjoying that experience because this was a person who, Michael was a realtor who helped people buy these properties. He also owned a property management company. He also managed his own properties that he owned. So he had a ton of experience with knowing what to look out for, connections within the industry of people that we would need to fix things when they broke or service the property. Having that right person on our team, I think made a really big difference. Now, do you remember any of the hurdles that we ran into in the escrow? Not really. I think the only we we had like the inspection, but the inspection actually was relatively ideal. There was a couple of like sub two thousand dollar fixes that we weren't even going to ask, you know, for any kind of concessions on. Um, the only real hurdle that I remember was that we were going to put down fifteen percent initially, and then we ended up having to do twenty percent, and that was really like okay, well, five percent of. A hundred thousand, no big deal. Five percent of three million is like right. one hundred and fifty grand or something like that. So we were kind of like re having to, we were having to remodel out the deal and be like, all right, does it still make sense from a cash on cash perspective? And it did, and we still went forward with it. That was a big piece. I remember it was it's actually on five acres of land. And so we learned the hard way. Most lenders, that was one of the reasons we couldn't get the 15%. They wouldn't, they wouldn't underwrite something on five acres of land. And the rationale is. Lenders only want to lend on improved land. Like they don't want to foreclose on raw land that they can't sell. So the thoughts are if it's more than like two million or two and a half million dollars, their assumption is there's too much value in the land for us to get our money back that we let you borrow. So we had to kind of pull some strings through the one brokerage to be able to get the deal funded, which we could. We just couldn't get the sweetheart 15% that we were getting at the time. And in hindsight, we now we know this is why this property was available for the price we got it. Because after we bought it, I went back out there to Scottsdale to buy more, and there was nothing even close to this. It was by far the best deal. In fact, I found out that the five acres of land, if you just bought the land with nothing on it, would cost more than we paid for the entire property. So sometimes those hurdles actually end up being the reason you get a good deal. You know, it's really interesting. Like Scottsdale and like Phoenix as a whole have seen a dip in the housing market from a pricing standpoint. And I know that you can't really put a lot of merit into like Redfin or like Zillow Zestimates and stuff like that. But it, the they've actually gone up substantially to like 3.8 million or something like that. Um, which again, I'm not really putting that much stock in it, but I thought it was interesting that Z- Zillow and Redfin weren't really tracking with the downward correction on that specific property. And I do think that land is like really valuable and it's all pretty much used up. There really isn't any unused land on that property. They have a lot of really nice landscaping. There's like, they have barns and I think it used to be like an equestrian farm or something like that. So really just majestic from top to bottom as a, from an architectural standpoint. Yep. And then this specific property had a couple other things we really liked. It's the neighbors are very far away. This is probably the best neighborhood in all of Scottsdale. So the other homes are very, very, very far. It's not likely that our neighbors are going to, or the guests are going to be causing any complaints to the neighbors. It's zoned to allow for horses, which not a lot of areas are out there. So that gives it inherent value over time as it grows. And then it's on these five acres of like manicured, amazing, right? Like the views are incredibly manicured. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we saw some upside here. And and since we bought it, I haven't seen anything pop up in that neighborhood, like 
for any price at all. I think there was one for twelve million, which isn't realistic, but I'll take twelve million. Yeah, you'll, you want to go buy that one? I mean, honestly, if someone offered us three point eight, I'd be like, I mean, that's pretty good um, for, for like an <laughs> well, eight month profit. When they hear the rest of the story of what we've been going through, that they might understand why <laughs> that's the case. So, moving on, let's talk about what we invested into the property. So, the first thing we did upon buying it was fly out there, check it out. We made a little bit of content, and we kind of put our heads together to go over the renovation plan as well as the furniture. So, let's explain what we did for the renovation. Right, right. And uh, we actually made like a like a parody HDTV show pilot, me and David. It's on the Raw Built YouTube channel. It's very, I think, pretty entertaining uh, of us just messing around and uh, kind of just going through these decision processes of what it actually takes to set up an Airbnb at this size because we came into it with a furnishing budget of like $30,000 because we bought the place fully furnished thinking that that was going to be a do us justice. But really, once we got in there, we realized that most of the furniture was not super usable uh, because a lot of the furniture was like this like aqua teal blue. So we actually ended up getting rid of a lot of furniture, but we kept things like we kept things like couches, beds, side tables, accent chairs. Um, but really, we did some minor re- renovations going into this. Um, don't think those cost us really much more than like $10,000. And those renovations were things like painting walls, um, there was this media console that was built into the wall in the master bedroom that we had them remove like the top half. And then we put like a granite countertop on, on that to make it like a really nice dresser, basically with the TV on it. Um, we also did things like there was this like purple tile in all of the bathrooms and we hired the handyman to come in and paint over that with like black Rust-Oleum paint. That's like tile paint. So it was a lot of really small things um, from a cosmetic standpoint, from a what we planned on doing. And then obviously it sort of escalated from there. Uh, but then we also spent a decent amount on furnishings as well. I think we probably ended up spending, I want to say like 45, maybe 50,000 overall on new furnishings, which is not terrible for a 6,000 square foot home. Do you, do you know what the total budget was for the rehab and the furnishings and the repairs that were made so far? I, I want to say it was in the neighborhood of maybe like 130,000, something like that, maybe 140. But that was like, we did a lot, right? Like we, we did things like we changed out the barbecue pit, right? And the barbecue pit was facing a mountain and it was beautiful, but it didn't work. And you can't just buy like a $300 barbecue pit from Lowe's. The inserts that actually go into countertops, those are really expensive. Those are like two or three grand. Uh, we also added a pool table because I thought that, you know, it would have a nice, uh, I don't know, aesthetic in that big open space. And it would be really great for like bachelor parties. We hired a personal design person, right? We did. Yep. And that was about had to pay for that. Maybe like 5,000 bucks, something like that. Um, and she was great. Um, and then we also added a pool heater. And that pool heater w- was like 24 grand for not just the pool heater, but the excavation to run a propane line to and from the pool all the way outside the home to like a big propane tank. Um, It was just really expensive. We got a bunch of quotes and that was just like an expensive quote. Like, I don't think pool heaters usually cost that much. I think they're usually in that twelve to $15,000 range. But at a property this size, a pool that size, the Scottsdale tax, right? Kind of adding up on top of it too. We just couldn't get anything cheaper. So we definitely put some money into the property. And the last piece on this segment I want to make sure we cover is you and I knew when we bought it, we're not going to come out the gates crushing it. This is not a property that you buy and on month one, you're profitable. We knew 
there's going to be stuff that goes wrong we don't know about. It's going to take a little bit of time to get going. We're going to have to dump a lot of money into the property to get it where we want it to go. This is definitely something that we are buying for the long term. And we sort of gave ourselves an 18 to 24 month window before we even expect it to be profitable. Now, I know this is something different than what you're normally doing in the other deals you buy. So with hindsight, are you willing to share? Did you think I was crazy? Were you listening to this with like a pit in the middle of your stomach? What were your thoughts when we came to that conclusion? Um, no, I think it was fine. I think, I mean, I don't really depend on cash flow anyway. Um, like I just kind of stock it away and reinvest. So I think for this one, there's a lot of things that, that came into it, right? So a, we were comping out our deal with 2021 numbers and 2020 numbers, which are, is really hard to do because our comps on this were saying, Oh, we're going to make half a million dollars in revenue every single year. But I was just like, I don't have the data points for 2017, 2018, 2019 before this crazy Airbnb run, right? So we kind of came into it with like, all right, if we could gross like 500 to 550, that'd be amazing. It'd be an amazing return. But all we really need is to gross like 300K. And if we could do that, we'll, we'll at least cover all of our expenses. And I kept telling you this whole time, like, you know, when we were setting it up, I was like, I want to invest more into it because I felt like we had a Ferrari, right? And we were putting hubcaps on the Ferrari. And so there's a really big component to this that we haven't done yet, which is that sports court, which was going to cost $25,000 to basically redo. And uh, I think we ultimately decided to wait until we have money coming in before we invest it. But it's hard because I think this property still needs at least another, I mean, just like basics, like 50K just to get like a sports court and like a little mini mini golf, you know, putt putt and stuff like that. Um, and then like new outdoor furnishings. Like there's a lot that I would do if I could, but I think for now it's it's serving its purpose and it's doing its job within the portfolio. We knew going into it we were gonna need to redo the sport court. We got the bid for twenty five thousand. It's got like a basketball hoop and like a tennis court set up out there and it's surrounded by like chain link fence. It's really nice. And then the pool heater issue came up, which we weren't expecting. So walk me through why you believe that it was better to put the money towards the pool heater than the sport court. Yeah, because talking to Michael, who's like a expert in this market, he basically said that people will choose your property over another solely based on the pool heating. The pool heating is the number one amenity that people want, which is honestly just I don't understand it, dude. It's crazy to me. It really is because it's like so cold out there right now. And when you heat up a pool, all right, just for a frame of reference, I have a, a pool. It's a small pool at my house. It's probably like eight feet by 10 feet. We get that thing up to like 98, all the way up to 100 degrees. It can go to 104, right? And we can do that when it's like 20, 30 degrees outside because it's a hot tub temperature. But in Scottsdale, when you heat up a pool, you're not heating it up to hot tub temperatures. You're heating it up to 85, which is like a little less than lukewarm. Lukewarm. It's not hot. It's not cold. But in like 20 degree weather, it's freezing. So it's crazy to me that people even want the heated pool, but they charge, you know, they'll pay it, right? We charge $150 a day. It's an expensive thing to to add on, um, but they all want it. So I just felt if we are even going to compete with anybody in this space and any of the luxury places that offer pool heating, we will just get looked over if we don't have it. So it was just one of those things where we sort of had to bite the bullet, I feel like. As opposed to the sport court where it's not advertised as part of the property. So any deficiencies with it, no one's walking in like, oh, what the heck? This isn't in nice condition because it's not even mentioned in the list of things that they're getting when they rent the property. I mean, we've had one person that 
you know, they got they got a little like nosy and they went walking around and they're like, "What's this?" And then they they sent us a message and they're like, "Where are the rackets?" And we're like, "You, if you're looking at the tennis court, you know that it's not, it's not in any condition to play." You know, it was like kind of funny to me, but we're like, "Yeah, it's not it's not in use." And they were like a little bummed about it, but I was also like, "Well, we didn't offer this, so you, you can't be mad about it." But that is one of those annoying things where if you show an amenity and you tell them it doesn't work or that it's not included. People still want the amenity because they want what they can't have, oftentimes. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG. That's N-R-E-I-G provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com pockets. 
Now, when we were choosing properties to look at, we were sort of analyzing several of them every week that we met, and we had a five-point system. We called it the five-point matrix, and I'll share that briefly before we move on to what the actual process was like buying it. So we were looking at revenue, obviously, like what's the ROI is one of the first things we looked at. Then we looked at the uh, capacity for appreciation or equity. Do we think it's, how much is it going to go up the area of the property itself? We looked at debt, meaning like, how much money are we? can we borrow? We, at the time, we were seeing debt as a positive thing. So if we could borrow more money with as much inflation as happening, we, we like that. We looked at the time that the property would actually take from our lives. That's one of the reasons we didn't want to buy 10, $300,000 properties is let's try to find something that's going to take less of our time. And then we evaluated risk. Of all the properties we could buy, how much risk is associated with this one versus that one? So Every time we had a property that we we looked at, the first thing we would do is say, what's the ROI? If it was below a certain number, we would throw it out. Then we would look at the appreciation. We sort of made our way down this list. And these were the five things that we took into consideration. And ultimately, this property ended up looking the best to us. So that's when we closed on. So moving into part two here, let's talk about the timing of closing on the property. So we closed on it just as springtime was ending and summer was starting. And in hindsight, that probably wasn't the most ideal way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, there's some pluses and minus here, right? So this goes into portfolio architecture, something that we talk about often, right? And that's constructing your short-term rental portfolio in a way that's complementary to all the seasons that your entire portfolio is going to face, right? So if you have a beach property, you're only going to make money really on that property from like May to September, we'll call it, right? Everything else is going to be crickets. So if you're the kind of person that is not good at budgeting and you know, you're know you just not used to that, if you buy another beach property, you now have two properties in your portfolio that won't bring you money nine months out of the year. So you need to start finding properties within your portfolio that counteract that, right? That are busy the other nine months of the year so that you're not hurting one specific time of the year. Because if you buy a long-term rental, for example, you're going to have a 12-month lease in place. If you have that 12-month lease in place, you never have to worry about how much money you're going to get every month because it's set. But short-term rentals are the ebbs and flows with seasonality. Sometimes you make 5000 Sometimes you make 2500 Sometimes you make 10000 And you really can't predict it all that much, especially right now, right? So for us, we bought this really expensive place, $3.25 million home, $17,500 mortgage right at the tail end of May when nobody is traveling to Scottsdale. And it's basically, I'm not going to say it's a dead zone, but from like June to December, it kind of is a dead zone. And then from January to May, that's when you make most of your money out there. So we had closed on the tail end of that. But that's also probably a reason that we got the property, right? Because maybe a lot of people know that and they don't want to buy an expensive property when they know they have to foot the mortgage bill on it for like six months. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, the timing hurt us a little bit. We weren't able to charge as much per month. Nobody's traveling to Scottsdale, like you said. So what we did was we just lowered the price per night and the plan wasn't to make money. We just understood like, yeah, it's not going to happen. We're not going to be profitable. Let's just try to get reviews. The, playing the long game. Let's try to get as many positive reviews as we can. Let's get people to stay in the property. Let's build it up so it's higher in the Airbnb algorithm. And for three months, that's what we did. So, you know, we're going to get into the numbers of what it rents for per night later, but we were probably, what, like 25% of what it would normally rent for during those summer months? Yeah. Summer months, we were looking at like 500 to 700 bucks a night, depending on if it was a weekday or weekend. And then 
moving into the the busy season, it goes up to about a thousand to fifteen hundred, and then prime time is like seventeen hundred to twenty two hundred dollars a night. Which I think that let me see, I'll tell you right now. Like we got a juicy booking in January for seventy two hundred bucks, and that was um. $965 a night, which is on the low end. But once you hit February, that's when it really jumps up pretty significantly for us. All right. Now, a couple of things also broke on the property after we bought it that we weren't expecting because the inspection report was super clean. It was one of the better inspection reports that I'd ever seen. So uh, tell me more about what broke and what you had to do to fix those. A uh, big one was a water heater. And this was like really frustrating because it was a brand new water heater and it was like a $100 part that needed to be replaced but because we had a guest in place and their reservation was like three thousand bucks it made more sense to buy a whole new water heater which cost us like two thousand dollars to to install so that was kind of a bummer that's really the biggest one that we've dealt with other than that we've um we got that pool heater installed and that has been working for the most part but we had one guest that was telling us that it wasn't heating up. And we're like, well, we're looking at the thermometer and it says it's 85 degrees. So homegirl goes and like buys a thermometer from Walmart and is like sticking it in the pool. And she's like, see, it doesn't say it's not 85, it's 83. And so we sent out our pool tech and our pool tech's like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you guys. It's 85. We had a lot of back and forth with this guest and we ended up just like refunding her like half of her propane bill. But for the most part, the pool heater has been another one where it's like people don't understand what I just told you about the hot tub thing. They assume that it's going to be hot tub hot when they get there. And we tell them, Hey, it's 85 degrees, which is not, you know, it's not like scolding hot or anything like that. It, it's, it's bearable to swim if you want that, but it's not like super, super hot. And people are always like, okay, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Give it to me 300 bucks a day, like, or 200 bucks a day, whatever we charge. I don't remember. And then they get there and they're like, uh, it's not hot. And we're like, yeah, we know we tried to tell you this. And now you're mad at us because we tried to tell you that, you know what I mean? It's just one of those back and forth that we have pretty much every single week. I probably would relate it to you on this a lot more until I went to Cabo with you and sat in a hot tub and watched you cry at the, at the dipping a toe. It was so hot. And there was five of us at that hot tub and four of us were like, dude, we are, it literally hurts to stand in here. And you're like, I don't feel it, guys. I don't know what you're talking about. And then five minutes later, who's sitting outside of the tub? Big dog, David Green. And it was because my whole body got hot, not because the water was too, but that was very funny. Like you, Clint, Kyle, were all like, this is like, like it was waterboarding to you guys. Like this is torture. I am a hot tub fanatic. I get in my hot tub as often as I can. We will put that thing up at 104. I've never been like cry uncle. But touching that, putting my foot in that, I was like, this, I could boil an egg in this hot tub. If you want to learn how to be more of a man, sign up for one of my retreats at the <laughs> Scottsdale House we're talking about, you'll learn. So that is frustrating, right? Because the key to a happy life is having your expectations met. And when a guest shows up, with, when you say it's 85 degrees, who knows what that even means in their own head? They might think 85 is what a hot tub feels like. They probably don't know. So you've had to deal with a lot of those type of issues and more than just that. So tell about some of the other crazy guests that we've had in the short time we've owned this property. Oh my goodness. This is like Karen level 5,000, man. It's been pretty crazy. So one, one, okay, well, before we even get to the Karen scenario, there's this one time where our cleaner showed up. Up. They were knocking on the door because it was 10 a.m. and the guests weren't answering. And they're like, hello, we're here to clean, you know, housekeeping, whatever. And then the guests pull a gun on them. 
And like they they come out and they pull a gun on him. They're like, "Get out of here! I'll kill you." I don't. I honestly don't even remember. And our guests, our cleaners, call us and they're like, "Hey, this just happened. Uh, they pulled a gun on me, and you should know." And then we're like, "Oh my goodness! I'm so sorry. We're gonna call the cops. Cops get out there." And then we accost the uh, the the guest, and I'm like, "Hey, did you pull a gun on our cleaner? That's absolutely unacceptable." And then they lied, and they were like, "No, we didn't. No, they were helping us look for our cell phone. I don't know why they would say that." And we were like, "All right, well, one star, I guess. You know, like whatever." So that was like pretty interesting. Um, oh yeah, I always forget. That's not even the gun store you're talking about. The other gun store. One of them. That's funny. <laughs> the property of several of these. <laughs> right, and then when when we bought the house, like we had just closed. We went out there to shoot content, and uh, Caleb went out there, my my videographer, editor, and good friend. Um, he went out there before us to start getting footage of the property. So he goes into the house, gets a knock on the door, and it's like, hello. And he's like, yes. And he's like, hey, uh, I'm the previous owner of the house. Uh, I left I left something in the house. Can I go get it? And Caleb was like, uh, I mean, I, I don't know you. What is it? He's like, it's a gun. It's under the mattress. I'll be fast. And so Caleb's like, I guess. And so guy goes and under his mattress pulls out like a, I don't know, a Glock or something. And then he leaves. So that was uh, one of two gun stores that have happened in that uh, in that specific property. Yeah, which is funny because one of the reasons we wanted to invest there was it's one of the safest areas in the entire country. <laughs> and then we've, we've had these yeah. two incidents that are just kind of kind of crazy. So we had that one, the one with the cleaners was pretty serious. Like what the heck is going on? Like what? I'm guessing it was a thing where the cleaners probably banged on the door. Like it's past checkout time. And the people were like, let's teach them a lesson. And who knows how that gets translated as it makes its way back to us. Right. Both sides are like, I don't know what they're talking about. We're like, well, there's a gun. So somebody here has to <laughs> right. leave right. something uh, out of this story. Objectively speaking, was a gun pulled <laughs> on the cleaner, right? Like, like how, yeah. How did that part come up if they were helping you find a cell phone and you just nicely knocked on the door for no reason at all? So we had that. Then we had the lady that was upset because the sprinklers came on when she wasn't expecting them to, right? What's that story? Yeah, we'll call her... Um Jamie. I always say Jamie's always the name that I use for for these scenarios. Um so Jamie it was a $5,000 reservation. She calls us and you know she's like, "Hey, there the sprinklers are going off." And we're like, "I'm sorry. They do that. You know, they're automated. We can't do anything." She's like, "I was having a medi- meditation retreat and my guests came from all over the world and you ruined it with your water." And we were like, "I'm sorry. Um by law, well, first of all, we didn't know you were having a paid meditation retreat. You got to tell us these things. Right, right. Second of all, the city of Scottsdale has like a law that basically mandates that we water the the property at a certain time. We can't be outside of it, uh, or at least I'm told anyway. Yeah, because it's the desert. <laughs> They're careful about water out there. Yeah, and we're like, we have to water it at this time. Sorry about that, though, but it, that that is the law. And so she was like, all right, whatever. So anyways, she can't figure out how to hook her laptop up to the TV with like an HDMI cord, um, which was like, okay. And we're like walking her through it. And she was like, you don't have the manuals to your TV. Like all the other Airbnbs I've been to. <laughs> so we're like, you know, obviously and we're all mad at, we're being like Clint and Brent. And we're like, what the, no one, no one keeps a TV manual at their Airbnb, first of all. And then to this lady, we're like, oh, we're so sorry. It's just the TV. You know, you just, 
plug it into your laptop. Mind you, David, you were at this property literally the week before presenting on the TV from your laptop. So it's not like the TV didn't work. So she was really angry about that. And then the next day, you know, Insanity, David, in case you don't know, is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Uh, so the next day, home Homegirl goes to like meditate again and the sprinklers go off again <laughs> at the same time. And she's so angry. And we're like, we try to tell you we have to water at two o'clock. So there's a time that you say like the sprinklers can only come on at this time. And she chooses that time to be when she does the outside meditation, right? Oh my God. Yes. And on so- a five acre property, mind you, it's not like there's only one place that you could possibly go. It's a huge, huge tract of land. Yeah. So she's just like, I have been in so many Airbnbs and I've, I've never been treated this way. And of course we're nice hosts. So we're like, Oh, we're so sorry. Like, what can we do for you? And I don't blah, blah, this and that. And so she was just like, all right, I want to, I want I want to be compensated for this because this is just outrageous. And so we we're like, well, what, what did you have in mind? She's like, I want 4,000 out of my $5,000 returned to me immediately. And we were like, well, we'll do 500 bucks because we're sorry, but that's, that's really all you're going to get from us. And so she didn't have it. And so she, uh, we, you know, we're just trying to work it out with her and do everything we can. And the Airbnb reaches out to us and then we reach out to Airbnb for our own rep. And it's like a whole thing. But basically at the, at the end of the day, um, she forgot to leave a review. <laughs> so we ended up not, not getting like a one star from her. But we did learn from our lesson. So now if you visit this house, you will find on the dining room coffee table, Car and Driver magazine, Home and Garden magazine, and the TV manual right out there for your viewing pleasure. And I will say that is just one of the Karen scenarios that we've had at this property. We've probably had... Uh, the week before that or two weeks before that, we had the worst guests I'd ever dealt with, like from a high maintenance standpoint at that property. And I was like, oh man, I've now I've seen everything, you know, I've seen a lot. I've hosted tens of thousands of people. And I was like, oh yeah, Jamie 1.0, that's it. I've arrived. Everything else from here is going to be easier. Then Jamie number two comes and she's like, even worse. And we're just like, oh man, it's just crazy, dude. Like these people treat you like you're nothing sometimes. And we're all just trying to be nice and resolve the situation. But that's hospitality, you know? Customer's always right, kind of, you know, like to a certain degree. We're not going to give them a $4,000 refund, but you know. And not every single guest is this bad. We're not trying to give the impression that 100% of your guests are like this, but we also don't want to give the impression that this never happens, that all of your guests are great. Well, it doesn't really, dude. I have, I really have dealt with very little problems in my portfolio when it came to like the high maintenance, needy, entitled guests. But it's something that comes along that I'm learning with the luxury property, right? If someone pays a thousand bucks a night, they have a certain expectation and it is on us to fulfill that expectation. But there's also a level of like, um, I don't know, realism that they don't understand. Like, I don't, not realism, but like they don't really common understand sense that. Or- common sense, right. Yeah, they expect it to be like, a, they're, they're to be a butler on the property serving them food. And it's that's not what it is. It's still just a house. All right. Now, we also had a couple issues with unreliable vendors that we had to work through. Can you share some of that? Um, unreliable, yeah. I mean, we had a, a handyman that just kind of touch and go. You never know what you're going to hear from them. Same thing with our pool cleaner. Our pool cleaner was one of those people that would always come through when we really needed them to. And then when we really didn't need them to come through, like we just kind of needed a small thing, was always ghosted, was always late, was always just super touchy and stuff with us. So for the most part, 
we've just had some pretty flaky vendors that we've had to cycle in and out. And uh, it hasn't been too bad, but it is one of those things where it's like, you know, when you're building your dream team for an Airbnb, you're really thinking about your cleaner, your handyman, and like those are the prime people that are running your property. But in this instance, because it's five acres and it's on an equestrian farm with lush landscaping, it's like you really need the best lawn care possible. You need the best pool care possible to get all the leaves out. Uh, because of the amount of landscaping we have, you need the best pest control because there are a lot of bugs out in the desert and there are a lot of like rats out in the desert and there are a lot of iguanas out in the desert. So it's like you kind of need probably twice the size of your dream team than you would with a typical Airbnb. So that's been interesting building our team because we just have like 10 points of contact, whereas we would typically have like three. And you also have to be aware of the fact that in some of these more expensive areas, you're going to pay more for the same labor. And that's frustrating, but it's something you got to do. So if you're willing to that's be a, a very industrious, that's what Rob meant by the Scottsdale tax. If you're going to be industrious, sometimes you can find people in neighboring cities that are not as expensive and get them to drive out there. But that's a little bit of a quick tip for you is from now on, when we're looking for something that we need to be fixed in Scottsdale, we look in Phoenix or we look in the areas around there, not Scottsdale itself. Well, you know, there, I always thought that there was the raw built tax, right? Where I like, I'll get a quote from someone kind of in the audience and it always ends up being like, oh, that's more expensive than I thought. But that really pales in comparison to the Scottsdale tax where, you know, they roll up on a 6,000 square foot property. That's beautiful. And they're like, oh yeah, <laughs> we're going to triple this quote. Dude, we got a, a quote to change out a toilet. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like overly hyperbolic about this to swap out the toilet labor, David, to just get rid of the toilet and put a new one in. $200 toilet, right? 800 bucks for the manpower to swap out yeah, a not toilet. Not to run plumbing, not a rough-in job in a bathroom. No. Just take out a toilet and put another one in. Yes. And then they were like trying to charge us like $700 for the toilet. And I was like, um, yeah, I've always bought like $150 toilets from Home Depot. And they're like, oh, yeah, you can't trust the Kalers. Those will break down on you real fast. And I'm like, I've never had a toilet break down on me. Other than this one that came with the house, <laughs> that's like, true. You don't you don't hear about toilets breaking down. <laughs> it's like it's a very simple function, you know. It's not like anything. I thought you were gonna do your typical Rob thing and be like, David, it's a Ferrari. You can't put hubcaps on it. All the toilets need bidets. They need to be the 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 French model three thousand that costs seven grand each. But no, in this case, you're actually not wanting to pay the money. Listen, I've bought a lot of toilets for all of my properties, like a lot of toilets, and they all work the same. If you're gonna buy a toilet, make sure it's got the two buttons, one for the pee and one for the poo, and it's 150 bucks, maybe 200 bucks if you want to get like the more modern version of it, and that's it. That's it. There's nothing else to it. You don't need to buy a seven hundred dollar toilet. And like, they, and then they make you feel dumb because they're like, they're like, oh, all right, all right. Well, if you want to get the two hundred dollar toilet, I guess. And you're just like, yeah, I, I'm so I I don't know why you're saying it like that. I'll just I'm, I'll buy it and you go pick it up. All right, John, you just go pick up the dang toilet. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. Moving into the last segment here, let's talk about how things are looking moving forward. So we had the first three months that were obviously difficult. We knew that was going to be the case. We had low expectations. So we got through that just fine. You and I are not at each other's throats, which is nice because nope. can't say that about every partnership I've been a part of. It's often very difficult to make it work. Uh, so how are the bookings looking at this point? At this point, they are finally picking up. Um, honestly, they started picking up in October. 
like we were pretty slow like August. I mean, we were all we were making, I don't know, five to eight thousand bucks. Like nothing nothing that I was like too bummed about. But then in October, I think we had a break even month. November was a little bit slower. Uh December finally picked up. We got like I want to say twenty thousand dollars in bookings or something like that. And then January really picked up um, where we were really starting to charge some serious money. We got like a $7,200 booking, a $4,900 booking, a $5,700 booking, and then we still have more days to book in January. So I'm starting to feel like, oh, okay, good. We're hitting the the shoulder season of when it gets really, really busy. And I'm excited to finally see some of that money come in and be like, all right, cool. The bank account is padding. We don't have to subsidize it as much. But um, I think what I'm learning now is like kind of our, our... our hunch, which was like, all right, the 2021 numbers were a tough way to comp because we sort of knew that it wasn't going to probably always be gravy like that. So we we needed 500K to have like a crazy good return. But I think a 350K gross for us was going to be like a 10 to 15% return, if I remember correctly. I'd have to look at my spreadsheet. But um, we were fine with the 10% return simply because the cost segregation and the depreciation on this property was going to be really, really, really good come tax time. So I still think um, we'll probably be around that $350,000 mark, but it's really too early to tell because we haven't hit any... Like We've grossed 100K so far, and then we need to gross another 250 basically from now to May, and I think we'll do that. Now, we did have, I believe when we bought the property, we used the pictures from the listing. Is that the case? Or did we get pictures taken when we first bought it? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did use some of the listing photos. And then we had a photographer come in and he took really good photos. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's like, you know, they're, they're good. I was happy with them. But they weren't they weren't bangers, as the, as the cool kids say. So I actually had my buddy, um, Eric Barkhurst from Barkhurst Studios. He specializes in Southern California. And I was like, he takes all of my photos for all of my California properties. And I was just like, dude, I I need better photos. I'm not really happy with the ones that I got. Are you willing to come out and shoot my property? I know it's like six hours away. And he's like, for you, bud, let's do it. So he comes out, he shoots the property. And oh my God, the photo, the cover photo was crazy good. Like we'll put it on screen for the YouTube audience at home, but it was so good. It was so amazing. And literally the day I reposted that photo, we got $18,500 in bookings, like the same, same, like within 24 hours. It's crazy. Yeah. It looks like a desert oasis paradise when you see it. Yes, for sure, man. Like that, it, it was just really crazy for me because it, I always say that you need professional photography and most people will spend the three to 400 bucks to get that. But if those photos come out bad, they won't re-spend the money and reinvest in new photos because everyone's pinching pennies on their first or second rental. And so you and I spent 800 bucks on our other photos, which are good. They're not bad, but they weren't, they weren't what I wanted, right? And so we spent money to have Eric come back out. And literally, like the ROI on that was like thousands, right? So thousands of percent, $18,500. That's a pretty good... ROI and I don't, he didn't even charge me that much. So it's just really cool to see that concept really click and actually work. Cause I say this and I, I really got to experience it firsthand, uh, even as someone who really gets on a soapbox about this kind of stuff. Yep. And then in addition to the typical online travel agencies, we have some plans in 2023 to launch a direct booking site to kind of cater to corporate retreats and more than just your typical, uh, Airbnb user who is now looking to 
Is it just me or does it seem like Airbnb is sort of going the way of Craigslist where you just know if you try to sell something on Craigslist, there's a 90% chance they're going to beat you up on the price before if they even show up at all. Like it just develops that bad reputation where it's becoming normal to go in and ask for big discounts. Do you feel like that's starting to happen more on Airbnb and VRBO than it used to? I mean, there is certainly a big, uh, more than ever before, people that will ask for discounts. And I'm just like, I'll say no, <laughs> or I just won't even accept the the booking because if someone asks for a discount and you say no, and they say, all right, I'll book anyways, guess what? They always still get their discount because they'll find something wrong because they're the kind of people that ask for a discount. And then you end up having to refund them because it wasn't perfect, right? This happens every time, every time. Like, Can I have a discount? No. Hey, there, there's a there's a hair outside one mile away. I want $500 back. And you're just like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. I really am so anti-discounts really across the board. When people ask me for a discount, I'm like, no. I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. Don't the say next time they say there's a hair one mile away. I want you to say, great, go grab it, collect it, bring it back. We're going to save them for David and make him a toupee. Thank you for caring. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. So basically that, that is one of the things that's like more popular now. It's like, can I get a discount? It's like, no. And it's a game of chicken, right? Because it's like, if they asked me for a discount, they probably asked five other hosts. And then probably one of those hosts said, yes. And now they go stay at that place and it's like, all right, well, that host just made it worse for the entire community. And so I don't know. I'm just so anti. I would love to hear people's comments on this in the YouTube comments because anytime I get on this and I bash the discount askers, they always they always show up in the comments. And they're always like, how dare you? How dare you get mad at me for asking you to discount your product that you worked so hard on, Rob? Well, it's a matter of expectation, right? When when you're looking at booking a property, you're like two thousand dollars a night. How that's outrageous that they would charge that much. And and sometimes you hear people get on YouTube and talk about their this property made me fifteen thousand dollars in a month, and it gets all the clicks and the views. And then unfortunately, people that are staying at Airbnb see that, and then they start to think that everyone's like that. And sometimes you do have a month where you make fifteen thousand dollars, and then your sport court needs to be fixed, and you go dump fifty grand into getting it ready, or the pool heater costs twenty six. $6,000 or $24,000. So there's a lot more expenses that go into these properties than people are aware of when they're asking for those discounts. Like they're coming right off the profit margin. They're not coming off the gross. It's coming off the net, which is a much smaller number. So uh, in order to try to combat this, we are looking to try to get some corporate retreats. Can you share a little bit about how you're hoping that that works out? Yeah, definitely. Like I'm going the way of direct bookings in a big way for 2023. So I'm going to have a direct booking website. I'm actually working with Mark Simpson, the the Boostly owner. He actually, we interviewed him a couple months ago and he's actually making me a whole website with all of my different uh, listings and everything like that. So I can control my own bookings and you and I have really big social platforms. So why not? push people to that. Um, and I, I'm also uh, starting a, I'm partnering up with uh, Blue Gems, a property management company, and I'm like acquiring them. So it just makes a lot of sense for me to um, have a direct booking website, if that if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Um, because now I can just have all of my listings, send people my links and not have to worry about all the fees that people get mad at with Airbnb. Like that's a big thing right now and all the articles and on Reddit and on TikTok. So I can cut out all those fees, give people a better, basically, uh, experience through 
or hopefully like a, a more affordable experience and I can be the direct person handling that person and I don't have to be like strong armed by the whole review system, which is really the, the, the big bummer with a lot of OTAs, online travel agencies. So I would really like the Scottsdale Mansion to really primarily be a corporate retreat place versus a short-term rental place. Um, and the concept has actually been proven from what I can tell, because you've had a couple events out there with your investor retreats, right? That's right. Those are a blast. I mean, part of it's just because this is such a fun property. Like, I think you might've had the same experience. I've been in real estate a little bit longer than you, but when I saw the house, it wasn't just like most investments that I buy. And I'm like, this is a good investment. What's it look like on a spreadsheet? It's just fun. The architecture is really amazing. There's so many different places within the house where you can gather and have a conversation or have a different experience, whether you're sitting by a fire inside, sitting next to the 85-inch TV, at the pool table, at the kitchen, where I think somebody said like it's the largest countertop they've ever seen in a, in a property, right? Oh my God. It really is. Yeah. That's just inside. Then you go outside and there's an outdoor fire pit, an outdoor kitchen, several areas that you can sit at around the pool, uh, different little grass areas. Like it, it, almost every single bedroom has its own deck, like a wraparound deck from the property. The views are incredible. So it's fun to be there. Like it's just sort of a uh, inspiring scene, I guess you would say, that prompts really good conversation. So we've had events out there where other investors come out there and I teach them different things on that big TV that the lady said doesn't work. It definitely does, right? <laughs> like we put- Can you uh, corroborate that in a court of law? Yes, that's exactly right. I'll be there as your first witness. You'll have to Thank you. pay me a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's a blast. So uh, we're hoping we do more of that. I think actually we're looking at planning the next one in early March. So Kyle was just talking with me about that. He might have hit up your team to find out like if, what, what times it's free. And we're thinking about doing maybe a goal setting event, but I'm planning on doing things throughout the year, just different topics. Like what do people want to learn? Do they want to learn long distance investing? luxury rentals, uh, overall wealth building, budgeting money, building businesses, whatever the case would be. I'm trying to figure out how I can get people that will be interested to sign up and come hang out and then get you out there at some point too. Cause it was a blast. The last time we went out there, we, I probably taught for eight to 10 hours out of the day. It was just like an ab absolute drinking from a fire hose from the people getting to see what I'm buying, how I'm buying, how I negotiate it. You got to see a little bit of that when I was giving advice to you to give to our agent for like, this is what you should do to get the deal. And then having dinners brought to the house or catered. And then we went to Top Golf one night. You know, one night we went to the backyard and we kind of all hung out. Another night we made ice cream sundaes. So it's just a blast. Like you get a property this big that can sleep that many people. There's so many ways you can make memories there, which is different than when you're just buying a typical like two bedroom condo or a three bedroom house. It's practical, but you're not going to make memories at a place like that. Well, I got to say, um, I got a lot of respect for you because I just, we were. We're so close to for HostCon, my short-term rental event. Um, it's like a, more of a conference, but that's a big event that we've been planning for like three months. And dude, planning an event is hard. You know, BPCon, that was like 2,000 people. I, a lot of respect for the event planners of BPCon, but even at your level, that's like that small intimate experience. You know, you have a lot of people that you need to make happy. And so it's crazy, man. <laughs> people are hard to, to please uh, at, at large numbers like that. 
Oh, it's so true. I say all the time, if Notorious B.I.G. were still around, his next song would be more people, more problems. It's not more money, more <laughs> yeah. problems. People make everything difficult, which is why we got to be better as humans, because now that chat GPT or GTP, what's it called? This new AI that's yeah. scaring everybody. GPT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to find out that, that AI doesn't have these problems people do, and we're all going to be out of a job if we don't ship up and shape out so that's right if you want to attend one of these events or just learn more about what i have going on go to davidgreen24.com slash retreat or sorry retreats with an s at the end and you can see about what we have going on and maybe rob and i will put one together you guys can come hang out with us get to know us a little bit better see how good rob is at shooting pool watch interstellar with us and see his dance moves that's a night made in heaven for you and watch me freeze in a 85 degree uh heated pool loosely heated pool <laughs> watch you say how hot it is you're gonna pour <laughs> you a glass of ice water you're like oh it's scalding hot i didn't want hot tea all right rob anything else you want to add about this property what the experience was like for our listeners before we let you get out of here no i always tell people uh well i guess i can't say no and then tell you something so yeah i have something uh i think what i always tell people sort of in the in their journey for short-term rentals and really just real estate in general is to scale up accordingly right like i've earned my rite of passage to, to buy a house like this. And so have you, right? This is not a property that I would tell people to buy at, as their first swing, right? Like this is not a good one for you to really learn real estate on, right? You have to be very good and master short-term rentals before you really bet the farm on something like this. So for me, there's a lot of stuff that happens. We talked about a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about that probably to me, to me is not a big deal. But to a lot of people listening would be like, whoa, you, we got to hear about that. That sounds crazy. And I'm like, well, I've just seen so much at this point that like I can pretty much handle everything. But it's because I have five years of experience dealing with tens of thousands of guests, right? So when you're when you're scaling up, just make sure that you can handle it. You don't go to the gym and you don't put 500 pounds on the bar for your first time. It'll crush you. You build up to it, right? So as long as you take consistent action uh, over time, you will get to the point you can handle the stuff Rob handles, but don't try to skip ahead to the point he's at. That's how you get crushed. Yeah, I maxed out. This was my max. I'm like, ooh, that's good. That feels good. I got to do it again. I got to see what my next max is. I got to max out again. If people want to learn more about where you're maxing, where can they find out more about you? Oh, you could find me on uh, YouTube at Rob Built. Go watch the R-O-B-U-I-L-T. Go watch the pilot concept parody that David and I shot up about this property you can see the before and after of us staging it of us putting it together uh, a couple arguments we had uh, a brawl that we had on the sports court <laughs> a little bit of everything what i look like when i was 20 pounds heavier i've lost weight since we, and plus the camera adds like 10 pounds so see see how the magic of film has us looking it's a pretty good video though and it's very fun uh, so Thank you for having me out there to make yeah, that right. and go check out the video yourselves. You can catch me at David Green 24 or you can go to davidgreen24.com. And if you just put slash retreats, you can learn about events and you can come see this house for yourself if you're curious about how it works out. All right, Rob, I'm going to let you get out of here. This was great. Thank you for all the work that you've done on this property and more importantly, for sharing it with our listeners so that they can learn a little bit better and build a little more wealth for themselves. This is David Green for Rob, our defender against the nasty Karens Abasolo, signing off.
market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.